Smartcast. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market there's a change happening in the way we live the way we work the way we spend our money and make our decisions. We are evolving to be more conscious in our actions in a way that serves the world and makes it a better place. Welcome to The Ethical Evolution. The Ethical Evolution podcast is brought to you by The Ethical Change Agency. I'm Bindi, CEO and founder, and I am honoured to bring you the stories of those who create change through paying it forward and giving back ethical business owners and holistic healers who are determined to create collective change in the world. Once we have a change in consciousness and through collective change, we can become one. My next guest and I connected online across the world and I'm so glad that we did. At first I thought she was just another health coach, but I couldn't have been more wrong. Liza Baker is a health coach and sanity whisperer to underappreciated, underlistened to, undertaken care of, undervalued, overwhelmed, overworked, overscheduled, overtired and over it all wives and mothers 40 plus who work in the mission-driven non-profit sector and dream of a starring role in their own lives after too many years of playing Best Supporting Actress and everyone else's. Put more simply, she helps you do well while doing good. I truly enjoyed catching up with Liza as we resonated on so many levels and I could see we were on a similar mission to create collective change. Welcome, Liza, to The Ethical Evolution. Thank you so much for having me. Now, you're coming to us all the way from Michigan, USA. Thank you for joining us. we finally decided to have winter. Oh, is it snowing there at the moment? Uh, No, but it's about two months late. Oh, okay. It was quite warm here this morning. So, um, yeah, quite a contrast. Now, um, we've just had a little chat off air and um, you, as I've mentioned, I've called it, nicknamed a unicorn. Um, You can pretty much do it all, but... Can you tell us about your background and and who you are and what you do? Sure. Well, I was joking offline before we got started that if you looked at my CV, you would really have one of two reactions, one of which is, wow, this woman is completely unemployable. (laughs) What has she been doing with her life? And the other one is, this woman can do anything. (laughs) So I started my existence as a uh, teacher of Mandarin Chinese, and I, it has stuck with me. I come from a family of language teachers, and I have an incredible 
love of language and what it can do for us. And um, correcting grammar was kind of blood sport in my in my house growing <laughs> up. <laughs> so I love that. I have this insatiable inner editor that you know. <laughs> I need that T-shirt that says, "I'm silently judging your grammar." You know? <laughs> but um, that that career ended uh, quite early on. And I was looking for what I wanted to do when I grew up. And it turned out that that was going to be something I tried to do for the next 30 years. But uh, I landed in the culinary world and went to culinary school. I've always loved food. And I went to culinary school with the intention of becoming a caterer. I did that. I was a chef and private caterer in Chicago. And then we had kids. And that doesn't really jive. Uh, Kids need you nights, weekends, and holidays. And that's when your clients need you. And I was not big enough to be the person just saying, okay, you go do this party. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I left that job as well and spent a lot of time being the tag along spouse. My husband moved to several different universities and I was always, you know, the one who was getting a job rather than having a career because we needed a second income. And so I landed in a lot of administrative work, And then finally in nonprofit work where I became a grant writer and uh, grants manager. Mm. And uh, while I was doing that work, learned a lot about the food world, food systems, um, ethical food, and uh, finally landed in health coaching uh, because I realized, yes, we can quote unquote fix our food, but there is, there's a whole different layer, which is everything else in our lives that nourishes us or doesn't. Mm. And um, that really spoke to me. So I got uh, certified as a health coach and that's what I'm doing now. So I'm what's called an integrative nutrition health coach and I focus on sustainable health. And I like to say it's, it's the health of women and the mission driven organizations that they work in. Uh, I'm chief everything officer of my business and (laughs) a nonprofit consultant, author, blogger, uh, COO of a family of four spread literally around the globe. We will be on three different continents this spring. So looking forward to those logistics. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Wow. You're incredible. Um, So (laughs) you you were saying that um, you focus largely uh, on women um, over 40 uh, who work in the nonprofit sector, um, which I find absolutely beautiful because these are the women who are actually creating collective change and the change that we need to see. Um, absolutely. So, so with them, I'm guessing, I'm, I'm going to guess your mission here, but um, I'm yeah. guessing it's so that they don't burn out and they can keep this mission moving, right? That's exactly right. My vision is really that those who nurture the world, mostly women and the nonprofit organizations that they work in, are themselves nourished and healthy so that they can do this important work, that they are doing it at a higher and higher level Mm. uh, rather than burning out. And I don't know whether you know this, but in 2019, May of 2019, I think, the World Health Organization uh, said that uh, burnout is now a diagnosable syndrome. Yeah. Before that, it was kind of this nebulous, like, yeah, you might be burned out and there's nothing really that we can say about what it is and how to treat it. And now they've said, yes, it's a syndrome. Here are the symptoms. Doctors can diagnose you starting in 2020 with burnout, which is horrible news for HR departments everywhere (laughs) (laughs) because it really puts them on the spot to say, how are we going to reverse and or prevent this Mm. so that we don't have people being diagnosed with burnout and being told 
you need to take three months off completely mm-hmm. and it has to be paid, obviously. <laughs> so um, I, I came to this very niche sort of market, women who work in nonprofits and are over 40 years old. <laughs> wow. um, I came to this niche at a very interesting moment where it's going to be addressed on a really big scale very soon. So mm. I'm uh, I'm really excited about that because I've seen women in that profession burning out and the turnover rate is incredibly high in nonprofits. And when you're trying to do super important work, it's very hard when you're constantly trying to train somebody new to take over what somebody else was doing and build this, the relationships that you need to make nonprofit work actually happen. Yeah. And it's a, it's a really challenging sector as well, because you're dealing with some big stuff, like some really emotional, um, you know, really upsetting stuff that can impact you for life. Yeah, it really is a a very different world from the for-profit sector. And Usually when I talk about it, what I say is that, you know, if you work in the for-profit sector and you don't make a profit that year, that's that's what not being successful means. You didn't make a profit. Mm. Um, mission-driven organizations, uh, B corporations like Tom's Shoes and Bomba's Socks, and um, there's a wonderful, uh, what is it, Third Love Bras. Um, there's also a woman's... Uh, hygiene products company that's not coming to mind right away, but these companies that are starting to do some of the work that nonprofits do, but are for profits, I think are attracting more and more people. So it'll be interesting to see. I think that the nonprofit world is losing a lot of its workforce to those companies Yeah, because in those companies, you can make a decent living, you will have health benefits and you're still doing something you're passionate about. Yeah. And We'll get into this later, I think, but uh, one of the real challenges of working in the nonprofit world is sort of this expectation, certain certain beliefs about the nonprofit world that are just keeping the work from happening in the way that it really should. Mm. Yeah. So, um, I mean, it'd be interesting to know how, how many women are we dealing with here? This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Well, um, I've been looking strictly at uh, Southeast Michigan at this point. You know, my goal is world domination eventually, yeah. but, <laughs> but I was, you know, starting modestly. Um, when I look at the nonprofit world in Southeast Michigan, um, really, there are about 155,000 women who work in the nonprofits in this area. Wow. That's huge. It's huge. And it is a very interesting field for many, many reasons. Um, I think that women tend to go into nonprofit work because we are already the the nurturers of the world. We are the mothers, the daughters, the spouses, (laughs) you know, we we make things happen Um, and we nurture the world and nonprofit work is a way to take that to the next level and do that kind of work in the world beyond just our home, but also in our community and in the, the greater world. Um, it tends to attract, I was 75% of the labor force in nonprofits in America uh, are women. 
Um, we can talk another time about why only 30 to 57% of nonprofits are led by women. Yeah. <laughs> but that, yeah, that's another thing. It's like when you see a nonprofit, very often the CEO will be a man, but the executive director is the woman. Like mm. I said, can I swear on this show? Go for it. Go for it. <laughs> we, get, we get stuff done. <laughs> <laughs> we take care of business. So um, it tends to attract not only women with um, passion for nurturing, it also attracts a lot of mm, women who are re-entering the workforce after mm. having children um, and whose husbands have, quote unquote, good jobs in the real world and yeah. they, uh, they make a lot of money. They have benefits. So the women can afford to go out and do this work because they're passionate about it. Mm. And part of the problem I see with that is that we go into this work thinking, Oh, I'm going to have all this flexibility because um, I'll be able to, you know, pick up my kids in the afternoon and it's only a part time job and come to find out. Yeah, you can pick up your kids in the afternoon and then you go home and you spend another four hours on the computer. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it is it is in no way a part time job no. to work in a nonprofit. Yeah. And it's so in there, interesting. There's what a lot of equality issues in the nonprofit oh, world yeah. that uh, sort of highlights them yeah. uh, in terms of women's rights. And it's interesting, um, you know, what you say about women re-entering the workforce. There's, there's so many women now that are, you know, they've they've had their kids, they're, they're reaching that stage in life where they want to actually contribute back to society um, and earn a wage and make a difference. And yeah. I'm, I'm seeing a lot of those women actually start their own businesses um, and and they are actually having more of, more of an ethical slant to it. So it's a beautiful yes. thing to see and I think we really need to support them. Yes, I, I completely agree. And I, I find it fascinating that I really, I, I like working with women over 40 because a lot of us are reaching that stage where we're all of a sudden seeing all these inequalities and saying, oh, you know what? No, no more. Yeah. Nope, not going to happen. And we don't take anyone's shit anymore, do we? We're just like, what's it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's just it. And it's funny because I, I very often ask my clients, like, what is the best part about being over 40 or over 50? You know? <laughs> and so many of them say it in a very negative way, like, oh, I just don't take anybody's shit anymore. You know? <laughs> but I've always thought, you know, there must be a better way to say it because I, I don't think it should come across as I don't care what anybody else thinks anymore. Yeah. It's much more that I care what people think and it's not going to be the final arbiter of what I decide to do and what mm. I do. Yeah. Yeah, it's and it's it's like you you're communicating without speaking with other women over 40. They they get you, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'll tell you a funny story about that. I used to belong to a networking group and it was probably 75-80% men. And when we had to get up and give our little one minute, this is what I do, I would say, you know, I work with women who are so overwhelmed that they think the only way out involves a plane ticket, a wad of cash, and a change of identity. <laughs> and the men in the room would be just, uh, what? I don't understand. And the women in the room are like, yes! <laughs> They're all cheering. <laughs> I mean, they get it. They understand what I say when I'm like, yeah, these are the women who are sitting in the grocery store parking lot, like gripping the steering wheel of the minivan and thinking, huh, if I just took the grocery money and kept driving, how far could I get? You know? <laughs> and the men are clueless. And it's really a great teaching moment because I say to those men, I want you to go home and ask your spouse 
how she feels about what she did today. Mm. Don't ask her for the list of what she did. Ask her about how she felt about it. Yeah. And then they kind of start thinking, oh, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, <laughs> that she's actually a human. Yeah. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> <laughs> Um, so what, what would you say, I know you were talking about challenges before, what do you reckon has been your biggest challenge in, in helping these women and, and how did you overcome it? Oh, well, I, I think that, yes, we did touch on it before and <clears throat> part of it is the misconceptions and the foundation on which nonprofits are really built. Uh, I think very often there is this mentality that you're just, you're not going to have a big budget and you should just get used to doing more with less. Mm. And uh, I think that is really, really toxic. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't think that 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 necessarily needs to be so. Um, in America, at least, funders tend to love program and sort of dig their heels in about funding uh, gen ops, uh, general operating uh, expenses yeah. and capacity building. They want to see those programs and they want to see the the change they're creating in the world without thinking that, oh, the people who are doing this work actually need to be sustainably healthy themselves Mm. in order to do the work. Because the program's not going to happen if it's a three-year program and every eight months the lead program person is changing. Mm. Uh, So I think there's a huge amount of work to be done on the funding side of that. And um, I think the other part of that equation, you know, I, I was speaking earlier about uh, the food system where, you know, you can attack, you can attack the, the demand side of it or the supply side, but a really systems view is to attack both sides of the problem at the same time. Mm. So the flip side of the funders is, you know, these women who are doing the work very often have just put themselves on the back burner so for so long yeah. that they can't even conceive of taking care of themselves. Yeah. Uh, and they really have stopped listening to that inner voice. And this is something that you and Michael Spencer talked about on another mm-hmm. episode of your podcast. And just, just giving women permission to yes. do what they really know deep down inside is healthy for them because we're so used to listening to everybody else about mm-hmm. what we should be eating what we should be doing for exercise, what we should be doing for sleep. And it's like the list of shoulds. I call it shooting all over ourselves. I say that all the time. I say that all the time. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And it it is just lethal. It's deadly. (laughs) So very often it's, it's getting these women to tune into their, their inner wisdom and really figuring out what do I believe in and are all my choices really aligning with that? So a really simple example is a woman who thinks she needs to fix her eating style. My friend went keto, but you know, my husband wants to be vegan and my doctor said I should be this like, well, what do you want to do? Yeah. What feels right for you? Let's try eating this way for a couple of weeks and see how you feel. Oh, I can do that. Yeah, you can do that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's really looking at, looking at the issue from two sides. One is, are these women in a place mentally where they can mentally, emotionally, energetically, spiritually think about helping their physical health mm. and in doing so actually being able to do their work at a higher level. Yeah. And I think, um, getting back to that permission thing, I think once, once a woman reaches that space where, 
you know, she's found herself again, um, that is the most empowering thing that they can ever do. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So really, I think overcoming the problem is, is uh, assist, you gotta, ha- gotta approach it from a systems perspective mm. and really look at um, perhaps starting with the women in leadership. Uh, that's really where my focus has been until now is working with executive directors and saying, you know, let's get you healthy. Um, let's get, get things in your life lined up and see whether we can't let that sort of trickle down to your staff. And then let's talk to the people who are funding you and say, hey, you know, wouldn't it be great if the rest of the staff could enjoy the same benefits that you you got from a health coach? Yeah. Oh, there's that collective change again. Yes. Um, <laughs> now, you were talking about um, ethical food uh, just before. Can you define what being ethical means to you? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, ethical really in, in a very practical sense for me, when I think about ethical food, uh, to me, that means that, you know, you can talk about whether your food is seasonal, organic, local, all these new movements. The question that comes up is, is it ethical? Mm. And to me, that means, is every person who touched my food on the way to its plate earning a living wage? Yep. Do they have benefits? Can they send their children to school? Can they afford to feed their children the food that I'm buying? Mm. Uh, and, and that gets into the whole idea of, you know, our, our passion in America for superfoods, which yeah. is, you know, when you look at superfoods, wow, they tend to come from developing countries. Mm. And the impact of the, the big com- country of America wanting, you know, quinoa three times a day <laughs> has wreaked havoc down in South America yeah. because farmers who used to farm very sustainably see this, this market and they're like, oh, I'm just going to grow quinoa. And what do they end up with? They end up with the same monoculture that mm. we have in America for all of our commodity crops. Yeah. And when the Americans get tired of quinoa, guess what happens to those farmers in Ecuador? Mm. Suddenly they have nothing. You know, they've, they've got nothing and their ground is depleted. And how are you, how are you going to feed your family now? Exactly. And so ethical in terms of food has really fed into my idea about ethical on a larger scale, which is, are the people doing the work? Sorry, my dog has decided to complain here. <laughs> um, are the people doing the important work in the world also able to support themselves and be as healthy as they can be? Because yeah. it, it does... It's it's funny. I had a conversation with uh, a man who's a business coach, and I was pitching a program, um, this program specifically, and saying, you know, I want to support the women in the nonprofits who are doing the work in our communities. And he said, Oh, it, it would be so much easier to fund the work in the communities. And I just looked at him and I said, You 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 don't understand what I'm saying, mm. <laughs> like. It's very easy to fund, I mean, easy, relatively speaking, to fund a program that will feed hungry children or uh, tutor youth who are headed to college or, you know, there are all these things that are very easy to fund because people get them. Mm. But the harder thing to fund is how about we take a look at the people who are doing the work and figure out, like, are they able to make a living doing what they're doing? Yeah. Are they able to be healthy? Are they able to be happy? or are they completely stressed out and burned out? (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, that's really interesting because um, 
I think a lot of people, um, when they get their food, they don't think of these things. And, um, you know, I've had um, conversations with my sound healer previously about the energy in food and how you you ingest that energy yeah. behind that food. And it, it's interesting, you know, what you were saying about all the people who touch that food to get to my plate, what yeah. state are they in? Um, yes. So that energetically carries forward. And I think when we take more of an ethical view towards this, um, that energy changes. Yes, absolutely. And I have I have a deep fascination with uh, traditional Chinese medicine and mm. and the field of food energetics that mm. that really spawned. And um, you know, in in ch- traditional Chinese medicine, foods have an intrinsic quality. Mm. They're either, you know, expansive or contracting, or they are, you know, they make things damp or they make things dry out. Um, you know, it's this whole yin yang idea. And, um, I think that there, there are two things that most people don't consider. They sort of have this idea that, yeah, food has energy. Um, most of us look at it as like energies equal energy equals calories, yeah. you know? but there's a very different energy, like the vibration of yes. that food. Mm. Um, and we can affect that by the way we cook it. Um, we can also affect it by the energy we put into it literally at every stage of its production. Absolutely. Somebody has been touching it and what kind of energy did got put into that food. Yeah. Yeah, like that could be a whole other podcast. That's oh, that's a whole different podcast. Fascinating. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, what are your future plans then um, with the coaching of these women in this sector? And uh, you know, uh, how are you going to expand that? <laughs> well, I told you my future plans: world domination, baby. Of course, <laughs> <laughs> going to take this to every NGO in the world. <laughs> um, so, where I am at right now with this is, I just finished a pilot of the program with five fabulous executive director women in the Southeast Michigan area. And I'm starting the first paid cohort of the group in April. And what I'm exploring now is funding options Mm -hmm. for how do we make this program uh, replicable and scalable? Because you can imagine my own work is very, very much based on a one-on-one model, not Mm. very scalable. (laughs) Um, I usually work with women who come to me because they think they need to fix their diet And so it starts with these conversations about food and the energetics of food and different kinds of eating styles, giving them permission to experiment. And then it, it expands out to all the other parts of their lives that Mm. are nourishing them or not. So it's a very highly personalized program. And I am looking at ways to make it uh, more online and uh, also figuring out ways to either train others to implement the program or provide a program that is sort of like, this is your basic model and an organization could implement it as an online course. And, you know, the, the coaching would be sort of an additional, an add on really. Yeah. um, That could happen for a certain number of people per year. Yeah. So with um, individuals who come to you and say, can you help me fix my eating? Um, do you find a lot of the time that it's not the food that's the problem? Oh, I love that you asked this question, Bindi. <laughs> <laughs> My tagline is actually, it's the food and it's more than the food. Mm. And usually I work with women for 12 sessions and after session two, it's never about the food. They come to me and they want to know how to fix their food 
And by session two, they're kind of realizing like, oh, maybe it's not just what I'm eating. And what I like to say is that our relationship with food is a really good reflection of our relationship with other parts of our life. The The way you eat, the way you show up at the table or not in the kitchen or not. Uh, In America, very often people are not showing up in the kitchen. Um, But I say that the way you show up in the kitchen is really reflective of the way you show up in your life. Yeah. And uh, we start from there. Our relationship, food, our relationship with food is weird because we very often feel very out of control around food. And what it is, is a reflection of everything else in my life is so out of control that this is where I have some control or this is where I can rebel. So true. And, yeah, it's really true. <laughs> and so it really, I, I like to say everything else in your life is leaking into your relationship with food. Like mm. I joke that, you know, if you, if you hate your job and your boss is terrible, then you're the woman coming home and standing in front of the refrigerator and like eating ice cream out of the carton because you have no sweetness in other parts of your life. You're going to look for it in food and food is an easy fix. It's not great for us. And that's where we find the fix. Oh, my God, we need to get you global. (laughs) You know, it's interesting. Uh, One of my favorite writers about this work is someone named Janine Roth, and she's written a wonderful book called uh, Women, Food, and God, and she has some other ones. But my favorite title by her is When You Eat at the Refrigerator, Pull Up a Chair. (laughs) (laughs) And it's really all about let's own our relationship with food. Let's not try to hide it. Let, like if you're going to do it, do it and enjoy it. <laughs> That's it, you know. Um, figure out why it is that way. Yeah, I've um, I've been seeing a naturopath for oh, a bit over a year, oh, more than a year now, and uh, we're, we're very good friends. We also do podcasting together. Um, and uh, since I've been seeing her, I've lost 25 kilos. And recently I've put a little bit back on, um, just because of the chaos in my life, obviously. Um, and, um, it's funny, you know, you'll go and see her and you'll say, okay, so I diet hasn't been so good. I'll, I'll admit, you know, I know what I'm meant to do and I haven't done it. And she goes, but did you, did you enjoy it? I went, well, yeah, I did. (laughs) (laughs) So that's the thing. You need to get her that book for Christmas. (laughs) Yeah. That's the thing behind it is if you're going to do it, enjoy it. Don't do it to punish yourself. Do it because it's a joy, not something to punish yourself. Yeah. And it it very often comes down to that in all kinds of things for me, really just asking women to take a step back and don't judge yourself, but instead get curious. Mm. So if you ate that whole chocolate cake, don't, don't beat yourself up about it. Ask yourself why you did it and then set your environment up. So perhaps that won't happen next time. Mm. Or maybe you'll just need to have a cake next time. (laughs) And then there's the guilt and all of that stuff that they deal with when they do that. And and, and I think that's the big indicator that you're, you're punishing yourself more than you're enjoying yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. So how can uh, people get involved in what you do? How can people get involved? Well, um, I would say probably start with yourself. I think the more the more woke people we have <laughs> in the world, the better. <laughs> um, I think that uh, it really does it does start with looking deep inside yourself and figuring out like how how can I spread a little more light in the world um, and still be healthy myself because mm. so often we we give our energy away to those you know the energy vampires. Oh yes. Uh, 
Yeah. Um, you know, if you work in the nonprofit sector, take a really serious look at your own health and figure out, you know, whether it's physical, mental, emotional, energetic, spiritual, you know, are you really in alignment with your work? Are you able to do it to your highest ability? Or are you perhaps throwing yourself into that work to avoid something in your own life? Yeah. Um, because I think very often our work, especially if we're passionate about it, becomes a really good place to go when we're trying not to address something yeah. in our own lives. Um, I would say if you have the financial means and networks, by all means, start contributing to nonprofits and telling them that you want them to use your money for supporting the staff, uh, not just the programs that they're doing. Um, serving on a nonprofit board and really coming in with that intention that, you know, I'm going to be that board member who advocates for the people on the ground uh, is super, super important. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're yeah. a big funder, then I would say, you know, really start looking at general operating and capacity building grants focused intensively on the health of the people doing the work. Yeah. And um, if people want to actually find out more about you, where can they go? Well, they can find me at simplyhealthcoaching.com. That's the best place to go. And there are links to social from there. And um, my email is Lisa, L-I-Z-A at simply hyphen healthcoaching.com. And I would love to hear from people. Excellent. Now, I love asking this question and I can't wait to hear your answer. Um, what's the change you'd like to see in the world and how can we bring it to life? What's the change I'd like to see? I would like to see those who work in the nonprofit world doing the super important work uh, in our world, especially women over 40, to be sustainably healthy so that they can in turn grow the sustainability of their organizations and the, the sustainability of the triple bottom line, really, like people, planet, and um, I don't say profit, I say economies. <laughs> uh, but, you know, people, planet, and economies, uh, when we can make those strong and healthy, then our world will be a much better place. Oh, it's a win-win all round, isn't it? Yes. yes. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> yes. Look, I, I am so glad you and I connected um, from the opposite sides of the globe this morning, yeah, this evening. thank you for making it work. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, like, it has been an absolute joy connecting with you and I, I don't think this is going to be the last you and I talk. Um, there's, thank you, Bindi. We could do a whole episode oh, on food. You oh, know? <laughs> hell yes. Um, and so I want to thank you for being a part of the Ethical Evolution um, and I really am looking forward to uh, seeing you continue the work that you do and going global. Yes. Domination. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you, Bindi. Thanks for listening to the Ethical Evolution Podcast. If you're an ethical business owner, change maker, or holistic healer who's determined to make a change in the world and you need support to spread your message, visit ethicalchangeagency.com to collaborate. Hi, I'm Lessa Cadet, host of her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast, where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives one extraordinary day at a time. I speak with women from all over the world about what they do and how they are passionately pursuing their dreams and creating meaningful impacts on their communities. So come join us and learn about all there is to learn about these extraordinary women. Electric Acid.
Welcome to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing, where we harmonise your mind, body and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. Together we explore vibrations, frequencies and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing today. Electric Acid. 